This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with Nightbeat, a show that starred Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone, a reporter who covered the Nightbeat for the Chicago Star, encountering criminals and troubled souls. Listeners were invited to join Stone as he searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Now, he met an assortment of people, most of them with a problem, many of them scared. Sometimes he was able to help them, sometimes he wasn't. It is generally regarded as a quality show, and it stands up extremely well. Frank Lovejoy isn't remembered today, but he was a powerful and believable actor with strong delivery. And his portrayal of Randy Stone as a tough guy with humanity was perfect. The scripts were excellent, given that they had to cover much in a short time. And now the episode, Larry the Understudy. Frank Lovejoy in... Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Mostly I write about people, a great commodity, all kinds of people, tall, short, honest, crooked, hopeful, and hopeless. You stand on the corner of State and Lake at noon and they rush by you like an unchecked avalanche. You buy a ticket at Soldier's Field and you see them again, a faceless, nameless mass of humanity, shouting, shoving, pushing. They all look alike when you see them that way, in the aggregate. But take them one at a time. Watch them when they're worried or scared. Listen to them when they brag or weep. Listen well, don't jump to conclusions, and maybe you get yourself a story. That's my job. It was a brutal, hot night. It was too hot to hang around the city room, but the street wasn't any better. The air stood still, and so did my mind. I was as devoid of inspiration on what to tell my alleged readers as I was on ideas on how to keep cool. The seersucker suit I'd bought in the hopes it would give me a Princeton air only made me look like a wilted bookkeeper. I stood on the corner in front of the paper to take off my coat when a voice called from a parked car. Hey, Stone, get in the car. Take you for a little ride. Hmm? I turned around and the voice came from the back seat of a conservative job. A robin's egg blue limousine, and it belonged to Mushy Sindel. A dapper little hood who muscled into crime between repeal and keep over. I wouldn't say he's the most powerful racketeer in Chicago, but when he calls for you personally, well, it's not considered polite to refuse. So I got in, and the car nosed its bulk into traffic. How do you like my new car, Randy? Real George. Hey, it's cool in here. Naturally. 
You think I'm going to sweat my brains out? <laughs> How'd you get it so cool, Mushy? Refrigeration. With a humidity like it is, I said you got to use refrigeration. Got to be careful with refrigeration. You know, too much, you catch cold. You see the schedule over here? What do you think? Thermostat. I even control the temperature. Hey, that's terrific. You're darn right. Nothing but the best. If you got the dough, you can buy anything. If it's hot, you cool it off. If it's cold, you heat it up. If you like something, you buy it. If you don't, you pay to get rid of it. <laughs> Simple as that. Money talks. With you, it yells murder. <laughs> You're a kidder, Randy. A real kidder. You come a long way, Mushy. In the old days, bulletproof cars. Now, heat-proof. <laughs> With me, same difference. I'm a pretty good kid of myself, huh? Well, that depends. Where are you taking me? I gather you didn't pick me up just to cool me off. I hope. Ah, you're smart, Randy. Get right to the point. That's what I like about you. Hey, you're cute, too. Where are we going? I'm going to give you the break of your life, kid. I'm going to let you scoop every paper in town. Oh? You going to let the government look into your safety deposit box? <laughs> you're a riot, a real riot. Yeah. <laughs> And I've enjoyed the ride, and I'm all cooled off now, and I've got a living to make, so if you'll have handsome up there in the front seat, stop this armored icebox, I'll dig up a story. Relax, Stone. Relax. It's all taken care of. I got you a story. Now, we'll get out here. Here? This is the old Empress Theater. So what? Now, don't tell me that you're making book in the lobby. Now, you know it ain't legal to make book anymore. Yeah, I know. I just wondered if you knew Look, Randy, I laughed at your bum jokes, but this crack ain't funny. It ain't, ain't even friendly, see? I see. Okay, then. We'll go inside. The Empress Theater had been dark for months, and judging from the deserted lobby, as I followed Mushy, it was still dark. But as we got inside, I discovered there was a rehearsal going on. The pit was full of musicians. The electricians were experimenting with lighting effects. And on the stage, no less than 50 dancers were doing a chorus number. Mushy sat down in the aisle about midway in the house, and since it was cool there, so did I. Watch those kids dance, eh? I bought me the best dancers in Chicago. You see those guys in the pit? Real long-hand musicians playing the winter for those uh, symphony things, you know? <laughs> like I told you, money can buy anything. Mushy, are you bankrolling this show? So what's wrong with that? Baby's got talent. You wanted a doll on the vine because she ain't got a showcase for it? Baby? The doll. Shh, shh, wait a minute. Here's our address. Wait till you see her. Wait till you see the clashes. This is going to open your eyes. In one way, Mushy was right in his appraisal of Baby's talent. When she was on the stage, you weren't likely to close your eyes. She was a big girl, very blonde, and poured into a more off-than-on practice costume. She couldn't dance, that's for sure, but I'll give her this. She was willing to please. Baby didn't need a showcase for her talent. Baby needed a runway. <laughs> that's great, baby. That's wonderful. Wonderful, sweetie, wonderful. <laughs> well, Randy, now you've seen her. What do you think? Huh? Oh, that's uh, quite a girl. <laughs> then I tell you, then I tell you. Where's the story you brought me in to get? Baby. Baby's a story. You're going to plug in your newspaper, see? Everybody in Chicago is going to know about her. When we open next month, she's going to be a smash, and then we go on to New York. Wait a minute, Mushy, know? Mushy, hold it. I don't do that kind of thing. You want George Davis. He handles the drama page. Him, I don't know. You, I do. 
What do you want? What do you want, huh? How much? Name your price. Well, I'm flattered, Mushy, but... It can't be bought, huh? Now, now, don't give me that. Everybody's got a price. Well, come on, come on. Name your price. Well, you shut up up there. I'm trying to talk. Hey, Joe. Go on with a rehearsal, huh? You can't, Mr. Sindel. What do you mean you can't? You're the stage manager, ain't you? What do you think I'm paying for? Well, I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Sindel, but we've done everything we can without Mr. Jerome. Jerome? You mean he didn't show up for rehearsal? Oh, he showed up. They poured him out of a taxi. He's sleeping now in the dressing room. So I wake him up. Do I have to think of everything? Got a bum on the stage. Well, I, I'm afraid we can't. He he won't see light of day till tomorrow. Oh, no. Why it'll mushy Sindel get through with him? Mushy charged up toward the dressing rooms, followed by a nervous stage manager, followed by me. I was curious to see him buy his way out of this situation, but he didn't get beyond the stairs to the stage. He was stopped there by one of the chorus boys. Please, Mr. Sindel, I know the dance. Out of my way, get out of my way. But I'm Mr. Jerome's understudy. I know all the routines, all the numbers. If you'd only let me do it just this once, just for tonight. Well, understudy, huh? You can do all the numbers, all the routines? You bet I can. You can, huh? All right, then what are we waiting for? Hey, Joe! Oh, no, you don't, Mike. Oh, now, baby. I'm not going to dance with no amateur. I'm tired. I want to go home. My feet hurt. Now, baby, don't forget. We're opening in a month. We got to be good. We got to mm. practice. If this kid can dance with you, it'll be one more rehearsal. You'll be that much better, you see? You don't want that bum Jerome to steal all the notices, do you? Oh, Mike. Now, go on, yeah. baby. Dance with a kid, will you? What do you got to lose? Thank you, Mr. Sindel. You don't know what you've done for me. Not to mention what he's doing to me. <laughs> The orchestra hit it and the lights dimmed. As they came up again, Baby and the understudy were discovered on stage, curled up on a big native drum. They went into the number. It was painful to watch. Baby was way out of her class. She was way out of her class because the boy was great. How great, I didn't realize until he did another number and another and finally a solo. a blues number, low down and melancholy. And it could have been just that, just the dance routine, but he made it more, much more. He made it into a lament for a lost people. And yet, in it you could feel promise and hope. I'm not one to go wild for tripsickery, but the way this boy danced, he made it something intangibly sensitive, yet he gave it guts and virility. He could have made a stevedore understand what he was trying to say. Yes, and even Mushy Sindel. Mushy was watching the boy with a look on his face I'd only seen him wear when one of his nags was out in front. When the last bar was finished... And it was a spontaneous thing. Performers, stagehands, the most hard-boiled audience in the world applauding and cheering. Yes, sir, a real success story. The boy took a bow and he was grinning from ear to ear and then he ran into the wings. Oh, what do you think, Ronnie, huh? What do you think? Oh, he's got it, Mushy. I'm going to make a star out of that kid. Why, he'll be the biggest thing on Broadway in the movies. I'll make him so famous he'll even be driving a car like mine. Hey, Joe! Hey, Joe! Oh, where is that stage manager? You can never find anybody. Joe! Here I am, Mr. Sindel. Uh, hey, Joe, come here, come here. <coughs> Get that kid. I want to sign him up. Exclusive contract. Oh, I'm afraid you can't. What do you mean you can't? We'll dump Jerome. We'll start a kid in his place. But you can't. Who do you think you're talking to? I can do anything. So Jerome makes us think. I bought off his contract. I want that kid. I don't care what it costs, what we got to do. I want the kid. Now bring him in here. But that, that's what I've been trying to tell you. He's gone. What? 
He quit. What are you talking about? He can't quit. But he did. Two weeks ago, I gave him his notice. Tonight was his last night. Well, why didn't you tell me before? Well, I didn't think it was important. He was just a chorus boy. And you let him get away. Why, you stupid, idiotic, crazy, no-good numbskull. I decided not to wait for the bloodshed. I walked across the stage and was on my way to the stage door exit when Baby intercepted me. Look, you. Oh, me? Yeah. Don't go making like the lost and found, huh? Don't get any ideas about bringing that kid back here. He's gone. He's happy. I'm happy. Just leave it late. Oh? You didn't like his dancing? You kidding? It was terrific and you know it. Oh, I see. It's the competition that bothers you. Look, newsboy. With Jerome, this turkey will be stuffed. But with that kid, the show will be a hit. And that means... That means I gotta sweat in the spotlight every night and soak my feet when the show's over and watch my weight. Think that's any way to live? Well, I don't get it. Mushy said that he was putting on the show for you. Oh, that mush. He don't have any brains. He thinks I belong in show business. But believe me, I've had my fill of show business enough to hear. I've done my time, five a day. Now all I want to do is relax, and I want to get fat, and I want to wear my mink coat and cook for Mushy. Maybe that little jerk will marry me. So, so don't go bringing that kid back here, okay? <laughs> it's okay with me, but you better check with Mushy. There was an interesting slant on the theater. A gangster bankrolling a show for a girl who didn't want a career. But if I knew Mushy, she'd have her career no matter what it cost. And it was even money he'd have the understudy signature in a contract before the night was out. It was a newsworthy little item, but strictly for the drama page, and I still had a story to find. So I waved goodbye to Mushy. I walked out the stage door into the alley where the stage manager was cooling off after his bout with Mushy. Who's he yelling at now? Uh, the uh, orchestra leader. You know, this is the last time, believe me, that I'll ever manage a show for anybody like him. That ignorant little lit with oh, the Mushy is love. all right. He's all right. He'll calm down when the kid comes back. How did I know a thing like this would happen? Why... I'd never have accepted his notice. Love to see that kid's face when he finds out they want him to replace the star. Oh, he knows. He knows? Yeah, that's what burns me. The doorman tells me that he stood right there in the wings and heard the whole thing. He heard Sindel say that he'd make him a star. And then he just walks off and leaves me holding the bag. Who is this boy? Oh, just a hoofer, a nobody. Name's Larry Wilson. Why, he hadn't worked in months until I give him a job. But didn't he say why he was quitting? Didn't he uh, say anything? Well, not to me, he didn't. Saved his exit line for the doorman. What did he say to the doorman? Well, I'll give it to you verbatim. Not that it makes any sense. He said, and I quote, Just think, Pop, I could have been a star. Could have been? Verbatim, could have been. NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. This coming Monday, thousands of children will be going back to school. Four times a day, these children will be walking to and from school. You are urged to be careful, to be watchful, to be safe. Statistics show that in one year's time, 61,000 children were killed or injured by motor vehicles. Watch for children darting out from that blind spot between parked cars. Watch for them as they get on and off school buses. Watch for children playing on the sidewalks and crossing the streets going to and from school. Remember this slogan, 
A child may dare. Drive with care. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. What started off to be the cliché of the understudy had twisted its way into my line of fire. My curiosity was aroused, to say the least. What was Larry Wilson like, and why had he quit? It was easy to find out where he lived. The doorman had his address, along with the names and addresses of all the kids in the chorus. It was a theatrical boarding house on Gordon Street. A tired, mildewed-looking place with a landlady to match. Her name was Mrs. Dick. If you've come about a room, I got one, but it ain't ready yet. I'm not looking for a room. I'm looking for one of your rumors. Oh, oh, you some money, huh? Well, take it from me. It won't do you much good to dun them, any of them. They're show people. Well, I just want to talk to one of them, a boy by the name of Larry Wilson. Oh, that one. A real creep. Take it from me. Oh? In what way? Keeps his room clean. I go in there, there's never anything lying around. Clean like a tomb. Dancing. What sort of a job is that for a man, dancing? Well, this is all a very interesting character analysis, but I'd like to talk to Mr. Wilson if you'll call him. You're too late. He's gone. He's gone? When he come back here tonight after the rehearsal, all flushed and excited, he danced up the stairs, mind you, whistling. As if the world wasn't gone to pieces and people didn't have trouble all over. I told the people in this house I'm like a quiet, respectable place. You'd think there were a cage full of monkeys the way these show people carry on. Yeah, uh, about Mr. Wilson. Well, what about him? He's gone. Well, where'd he go? Well, how would I know? I'm the last one who knows what's going on in my own house. I've been like a mother to these kids. I took care of them, fed them when they had the money to pay. And when they get a break, they just walk out on me. I said to him, I don't suppose we'll be hearing from you now that you've got your break. And he said, I won't forget you, Mrs. Diggs. Bless you, Mrs. Diggs. And that way he's got. Uh, what way? Oh, humble, I guess you'd call it. Oh, he's got that humble act down pat. <laughs> if I may make an observation, you don't seem to like Larry Wilson. What good does it do to like any of them? You wait on them hand and foot, and when they get a break, they move out on you. You keep talking about Larry getting a break. You mean the show he's been rehearsing with? Oh, not that, no. Well, that ain't good enough for him, apparently. He's leaving town, probably going to Hollywood. Oh, he told me about him offering the lead tonight. Don't take it from me. You can't believe these show people when they shoot off their mouths. Well, you take it from me, it's on the level. They offered him the lead, and he turned it down. See? What'd I tell you? He's got something better up his sleeve. He's going someplace grand to live where it'll cost him a lot more than here. And after I treated him like a mother. Uh, do you have any possible idea where I could find him? Well, you might ask her. Her? Dan Dugan. She was always lollygagging around after him. Well, where does Jan Dugan live? Well, she lives here, like all the rest of the unemployed actors in town. Oh, well, would you call her, please? I can't. She's not home. She don't get home till after 11. <laughs> well, do you know where I could find her? Sure, she's on the corner. It's a ham and egg. She slings hash there. Something no decent girl would have done in my day. Take it from me. Yeah, I uh, take it you've been a mother to Miss Dugan, too. Just how do you mean that? Well, if I tried to be explicit, I'm afraid you'd be insulted. Well. The mother of Chicago's unemployed thespian slammed the door in my face. The mother vulture, that is. I walked down to the corner where the white enameled ham and egg gleamed in the shabby neighborhood like an elk's tooth on a dark vest. It was five minutes of eleven. There weren't many customers in the place. 
A dark-haired waitress was pinning on the cap and apron that was starched as stiff as celluloid, while a fragile blonde, about to go off duty, gave her a rundown on who had been served and who hadn't. I sat on a stool. The brunette waitress started to serve me. I uh, know the blonde young lady, please. But I'm going off duty, sir. Is your name Jan Dugan? Yes. I'd like to talk to you, if I could, about Larry Wilson. Larry? What about Larry? Well, my name is Randy Stone. I'm with the Chicago Star. He's hurt. Something's happened to him. Has he had an accident? Is that it? Oh, no, no, no. It's nothing like that. I oh. I just want to ask you some general questions about him. I'm a friend of Larry's. Oh, all right. If you'll wait for me out on the sidewalk, I'll be right out, Mr. Stone. I sat on the fire hydrant in front and waited for her. It's funny, I'd only exchanged a few words with her, but instinctively I felt this girl who was swinging hash because the theater hadn't found a place for her would one day be a great actress. Not because she was theatrical, she wasn't. She was plain, simple, and unaffected. She looked you right in the eye when she talked to you, and you could see it shining there back of her eyes. Sincerity and depth. I'm sorry I kept you waiting, Mr. Stone, but I'm not allowed to leave until the stroke of 11. Mrs. Diggs says you're an actress. Well, I think I'm an actress, but I haven't proven it to anyone else. I thought we could talk for a minute. Shall we walk back to your boarding house? Oh, no. It's bad enough to have to sleep there without being there when you don't have to. Yes, I know. I've met Mother Diggs. Oh, what about Larry? You said you were a friend of his? Well, it's not exactly accurate. Let's say I'm a fan. I've never met him, but I saw him dance tonight. You saw him dance? Yeah. Didn't you know he went on tonight for Jerome? That they'd offered him the lead in the show? Did they? Oh, did they really? He'd have been on his way to being a star, but he turned it down. Mrs. Diggs said he must have had another offer. Yes. Yes, another offer. Oh, I wish I could have seen him. You you say he was, was good, huh? He was magnificent. Oh, I knew he would be. I've never seen him dance, but he's talked to me about it. and Well, I've talked to him about being an actress. Well, sometimes you just have to talk about it. It's like you're starving, and if you don't talk about it, you'll die. Did Larry feel that way about dancing, I mean? Oh, no. No, but then, of course, Larry was different than other people. He loved to dance, but he didn't need it, like I need to act. Larry was... Well, I, I guess you could say Larry knew where he was going, so he was never afraid of failure or success or, well, anything. Why past tense, Jan? It's like you were saying Larry's gone for good. I'm trying to get used to it. Must be a pretty hot deal he's got. Seems he walked out on everything, even you. He never was in love with me, Mr. Stone. Don't get that idea. And he couldn't help it that I was in love with him. Oh, he talked to me lots of times about it. He, he, he tried to get me to go out with other men, but it just wasn't any good. Well, I didn't mean to probe, Jan. I'd, I'd like to talk to Larry. Do you know where he went? Yes, I, I can take you there. And oh, when you see him, will you give him a message for me? Why don't you give it to him yourself? Oh, no, I'd, I'd be afraid I'd cry, and I, I wouldn't want to do that. All right, Jan. What's the message? Well, tell him, tell him this afternoon when we said goodbye that, well, I said a lot of things I didn't mean. Tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I've thought about it, and, and I'm trying to get used to it. Tell him I won't ever forget him. We walked down the street two or three blocks. She didn't look at me again. My mind was churning with the bits and pieces of the jigsaw that was Larry Wilson. I felt the frustration of a jigsaw addict who's searching for that last piece to complete the puzzle. 
Yet I couldn't ask Jan Dugan any more questions. I didn't have the heart to. Here we are, Mr. Stone. Here? You'll find him in there. She ran into the darkness, and I stood and looked at the gray stone building with its stained glass windows and cross. St. Michael's Church. But it wasn't in front of the church we'd stopped, but at the rectory. I went up the sidewalk and knocked at the door. An elderly priest opened it. Yes? Oh, excuse me, Father. I'm looking for a young man by the name of Larry Wilson. I was told I could find him here. Come in. In here, in my study. It's comfortable here. Thank you. Larry Wilson. Sit down, young man. Sit down. Thank you, Father. And, uh... What did you want to see Larry about? Oh, is he here? Yes, he's in the church. No, 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 don't go in. No. Uh, Tell me, young man, uh, what do you want to see him about? I want to give him a message. A message now? Yes, from a girl named Jan Dugan. Jan Dugan. And uh, what is the message, if you don't mind telling me? Well, I, I, uh, I don't exactly understand it, but I gather that whatever he's going to do is okay with her. A good girl, Jan. Um, and is all, that all you came for, young man? Uh, no, not exactly. See, Father, my name is Randy Stone. I'm a newspaper man. Uh, I'm afraid I came out of curiosity. It's a good thing, curiosity, within reason. And what is it you're curious about? Well, I caught a rehearsal tonight, uh, of a show. I, I saw Larry Wilson dance. Did you now? And how was the lad? Well, he was brilliant. That's the only word for it. He could have had the lead in the show. He could have become a star. Star? You mean famous like the Kelly boy out in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, or a, a stare, a bulge. He's as good as any of them. Ah, it's a great profession, dancing. Brings joy to the heart of the dancer, and it spills joy out over to everybody that watches. And you say Larry was good, and that he had what it takes. Oh, that and more. But he ran out. That's what I'm curious about. Why does a dancer, one who can dance like he does, quit when success is right there? No, no, hold it, hold it. Don't go jumping to conclusions, Larry. Larry didn't run out. He made a decision tonight, and I might add a very difficult one. I don't follow you, Father. When a man has a talent, it's a gift from God. He should cherish it and develop it and, and give it to the world. It's a lucky man to have a talent, but Larry... Well, Larry had a problem. You see, he had two talents, and he couldn't follow them both. He had to give one up. The choice had to be from inside. It had to be right. And tonight, he made that choice. What, Father? What other talent? Oh, didn't you know that? Why, Larry's gone to school. He's leaving tonight for the seminary. Seminary? Yes, Larry's going to become a priest. For the second time, I had no words. I picked up my hat and said thank you and good night. I walked out of the rectory down the sidewalk, and there, waiting for me at the curb, was the blue armored icebox and the man who could buy anything, Mushy Sindel. Well, Stone, you took your time coming up. How'd you know I was here? I had my boys tell you when you started asking questions about this Larry Wilson. I know you'd track him down. You find him? 
Yeah, he's in there. Ah, right on a church, huh? What a bomb do? Cross me and sign up with some other show? Uh, yeah, something like that. I wouldn't go in if I were you, Marcy. I'm afraid he's not available. <laughs> what do you mean, everybody's available? For a price. Well, I don't know. I'll lay your odds you can't buy off his sponsor. He's signed for a long run. No, just watch me operate. He says in there, huh? Yeah. Okay. You coming? No, no, I've, uh, I got a story to write, but... Call me later at the paper, will you, Mushy? Huh? I'd like to get your reaction. People, the city's big commodity. Trying to figure one of them is like trying to figure the races. You call it one way and they run the other. Mushy Sindel, he was easy to figure. He followed a pattern right down the line. But Baby, now there was a twist. Who'd pick her for a frustrated house frog? And Larry Wilson? I'll never see anybody dance again without thinking about him. The boy who made the choice between the glamour and the glory. Copy, boy. Frank Lovejoy is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by John and Gwen Bagney, with music by Robert Armbruster. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Conrad, D.G. Pearson, Shep Minkin, Ruth Parrott, and Victor Rodman. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Stay tuned for The Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Fred Allen Show with special guest Basil Rathbone. The Ford Dealers of America present The Fred Allen Show. Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny Delmar speaking for your friendly Ford dealer. If you happen to get around among those who buy and operate trucks, you probably know that they're all talking about the new bonus-built Ford trucks, built extra strong to last longer. There are 139 new models, including the new extra heavy-duty jobs, the biggest Ford trucks ever built. For all the facts about the new 1948 Ford trucks, see your Ford dealer tomorrow. Portland, look, after this, please, just say, here he is or something. Don't make a whole big production out of the opening, if you will. I'll...
speak to my writer about it. Do that, if you will. That's the whole trouble with this program, you know, the writers. One writer used to work in a butcher shop. He sells his jokes by the pound, has the scales with him whenever you deal with him. And the other writer comes to work with a hammer and a chisel. I think he used to write epitaphs, or he's a prehistoric old uh, gentleman. I don't know which. Some of the jokes sound like epitaphs. Well, that's the other writer. He's an old Harvard man. He writes all of his jokes in dead languages. <laughs> you can always tell one of his jokes. It just lays there. Well, enough with the uh, enough with the grumbling, as, as that one did. That was one of his specials right there. And you, uh, did you hear Jack Benny tonight? Uh-huh. The show was cut off again tonight. Cut off last week, too. There's a new saying in radio. You'll never hear the end of Benny. From... <laughs> What's, uh, what's in the news? An anthropologist says that... Wait a minute. Uh, uh, wait, don't use words that we're not familiar with. Break them up. What is an, uh, an anthropologist? What is it? An anthropologist is a man who is versed in anthropology. Oh, good. I didn't think you knew it. I thought I had you there. What about, what about this anthropologist? He says that brainy men are all bald-headed. Brainy men are all bald? <laughs> what are you laughing about? What are you laughing about? You have plenty of hair. <laughs> Well, Einstein has plenty of hair, too. There's some difference between your hair and Einstein's. You bet there is. I comb mine. <laughs> Tell me what the... <laughs> got a nasty letter from Al and uh, hieroglyphics tomorrow. What the... Tell me, what else is... What else is new? Gregory Peck broke his ankle. Oh, poor Gregory. Will he, will he have to stop work? Well, until Gregory's ankle gets better, he's going to make hop-along pictures. Hop-along pictures. That's one of the Harvard man's jokes, too. I, I'll point them out as I lay them out. As I, I'm uh, uh, fine. I'm going like a house on fire tonight. <laughs> you sure are. That's a, you sure are. And I wish I had a pail of dirty water to cope with the conflagration. Tell me, what is your it's, what is your last item? New York City is planning an anti-rat drive. Anti-rat? Mama says there's only one way to get rid of rats. And that one way is? Keep your trap shut. <laughs> Let's go out on the street and do this, will you? Let's... Uh... We might. I won't open my trap then until I get to Alan's Alley. What is your question tonight? Well, during the past six months, the Better Business Bureau has received an increasing number of complaints about exaggeration and misrepresentation in advertising. And so our question is, have you been victimized by exaggeration or misrepresentation in advertising? Shall we go? As the two inventors said when they designed the first garter, let's make it snappy. <laughs> Well, here we are back in Allen's Alley, Portland. I guess some of the claghorns in, all right. Look, his scooter is on the front veranda there. Now, let's make sure. Somebody, I see somebody's banging my door, trying to bag it. Oh, it's you, droop face. Uh, he... <laughs> yes, Senator. Well, give it to me fast, son. I'm busier than the syrup jug in a waffle shop. Now, wait a minute. I'm investigating the coal strike. Coal? Coal strike's doing the country a lot of good. Good? Today, in Pittsburgh, if you meet a man on the street, you can see who he is. <laughs> As John L. Lewis says, you can't fuel all of the people any of the time unless I say so. Now, <laughs> Tell me, Senator, about this exaggeration and misrepresentation in advertising. Advertising is the grease that lubricates the wheels of progress. You think advertising... Non advertising gets results. How? Before advertising, a man didn't know where his T-zone was. Well, that... Men who knew tobacco best was chewing it. <laughs> Other smokers 
Other smokers knew as much as Philip Myers smokers knew. But, uh... Dove was just laying around doing nothing. Tell me, are the politicians keeping up with the businessmen? Are the politicians advertising? They sure are. Them Republicans is advertising a slogan. It's just five letters. Five letters? L-S-M-F-T. What does L-S-M-F-T stand for? Let's swap MacArthur for Truman. So long, Tom. I think the senator's been drinking too many malted milks. He's a little frat happy. Well, let's, uh, let's see if Mr. Moody's still up. Hurry, bub. Well, Mr. Moody, how about this advertising business? Oh, a farmer, he has to know about advertising. Why? It's the only way he can make his farm pay. Oh, you have advertising around your farm, do you? On all four sides of my barn, I got Peruna and Liverpool ads. Yeah? <laughs> my bull, my bull's all painted yellow, advertising Bull Durham. Bull Durham. <laughs> and I got the longest Burmache poem in the country. Oh, really? How does your poem go? John McGee had a long goatee. When he combed it out, it hung down to his knee. Yes. Today, John's happy. He married a wave. His goatee's gone, thanks to Burmache. <laughs> Long. Yeah, the poem starts half a mile down the road. I see. It comes in my gate, goes once around the house. Yeah. And the last line, the last line is on my back door, on the inside. Oh, you, you have to, you have to open the door to read the last line of the Burma Shave poem. That's the trick. The trick. As you open the back door, my wife's sitting there selling the stuff. Well, doesn't, uh, doesn't all of this advertising keep you hopping? Sunday is my busiest day. Oh, what happens? On the Sabbath, yeah. I stand out in the front yard all day. Uh-huh. I'm wearing a silk hat, a swallowtail coat, an ascot tie, white spats, and I'm leaning on a Russian wolfhound. You're... <laughs> You're leaning on a Russian wolfhound? In my hand, I'm holding a highball. Well, what are you supposed to be? A robe of distinction. So long, though. Titus will really switch from hard cider. Oh, well, let's try this next door. Happy, Jeffy. Ah, oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. Say, you look excited. Who's excited? I'm frantic. What, uh, what's wrong? As I'm taking out of the oven, an upside-down cake is ringing suddenly the telephone. Uh-huh. Hurriedly, I'm shutting down the upside-down cake and answering naturally the telephone. Well, so what is all the excitement about? I'm forgetting how I'm setting down the upside-down cake. Say, that is confusing. Now I'm not knowing which side is upside and which side is downside. What are you going to do? I'm standing it on end and calling it a strudel. That's right. Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, have you been victimized by misrepresentation in advertising? Mostly in the movies. In the movies? On the screen is showing a trailer. Yes. It's a saying, coming next week, you shouldn't miss it. Chills will leaping up your spine. I see. Always this week the picture is bad. Bad. Next week is coming a humdinger. <laughs> I, uh, I've noticed that. Tonight I'm going to the movie. A double feature? The zombie is getting up his dander in Technicolor. Yeah. Also, the wolf man is having a litter. I've seen that. Very good. <laughs> How were the pictures? So blinted. Oh, bad. Again, it's flashing on the screen. Coming next week, you were blowing your top. 
That's coming next week. One thing is not coming next week. What? I am not coming, thank you. of Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Cassidy surely must be waiting for us. Well, tell me, Mr. Cassidy. Oh, that's, that's on the other part. Tell me, Mr. Cassidy. Tell me, Mr. Cassidy, about this advertising discussion. Me boy, advertising should be stopped by legislation. Really? Especially them preposterous contests they have on the radio. Why do you say that? Oh, thanks to them quiz programs, every moron in America today has a refrigerator. <laughs> you, uh... Well, I, I heard the quiz program, yeah. Now. One of the contestants had amnesia. They asked him who he was. He couldn't remember his name. Yeah? For making a grand try, they gave him $800. <laughs> Yeah. Then they gave him a brand new house in case he couldn't remember where he lived. <laughs> you say you're against uh, these radio contests, AJ. Eh, oh, no. Look what contests did for Genghis Branigan. What uh, What happened to Genghis? Well, after winning two limericks and a jingle prize, yeah. Genghis won the biggest soap contest in the country. What was the first prize? Genghis gets $40 a week as long as he lives. Yes. And for 52 weeks after he dies. Yeah. <laughs> Good. His son is getting a college education with a career guaranteed. Fine. They're sending Genghis' daughter to a finishing school until she's finished. Well. <laughs> and Genghis and Mrs. Branigan have to take a cruise to Bermuda every two weeks until they're 65. Whether they want to or not. Hey, that was some award. Oh, it was the Pixie Soap Contest. I used Pixie Soap because... Well, what was Genghis' winning answer? I used Pixie Soap because I'm dirty. Goodbye, <laughs> Combining their unusual talents, the DeMarcos and Maestro Goodman come up with When the Red Red Robin Comes Bob Bob Bobbing Along. Girls? just came from Mrs. Nussbaum. She wants to see you right away. Well, I just left there. Something must be up, Kenny. We better get back to Alan's Alley. Yeah. 
Jenny. It's the third door. All right, I'll knock. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum, I just received your message. Is something wrong? Confidentially, I'm needing advice. Advice? I'm looking for a certain party. Yes? He is telling my husband, Pierre, to taking his Ford for service back home. Oh, I know that certain party. Kenny, Mrs. Nussbaum here says you told Pierre to take his Ford back home for service. Well, yes, Mrs. Nussbaum. I advise every Ford owner to take his Ford back home for service. This on the radio I'm hearing. Well, your Ford dealer has Ford-trained mechanics and special equipment just for working on Ford. This also I'm hearing. Your Ford dealer uses factory-approved methods and genuine Ford parts. It pays to take your Ford back home for service. Sending Ford back home is one thing. Yes. But everything Pierre is sending back home. How do you mean? My cream cheese is sending back home to Philadelphia. <laughs> My furniture he's sending back home to Grand Rapids. Well, why don't you put your foot down? Both feet I'm putting down. What happened? Pierre is sending me back home to my mother. Thank you. You have just heard a few random notes played, uh, plucked uh, from You Were Meant For Me by Maestro Al Goodman and his UN Orchestra. UN meaning unfinished number. Uh, and now, say, Portland. Yes? Would you be kind enough to hand me that news clipping on the piano over there? Uh, this one? Yes. I cut it out of variety. It's a want ad. What does the ad want? Oh, no, wait. Not the, it says... It says... That's from the Harvard man, too. I mean. uh, the ad says here, Wanted immediately radio scripts for new mystery program. Must be very exciting, very dramatic, and very cheap. Call Basil Rathbone, Biltmore Theater. Isn't Basil Rathbone in that play, The Heiress? Oh, yes, he's still in The Heiress, but he must be coming back into radio in his spare time. Now, I have a story that just fits Basil. When my mystery goes on the air, Sam Spade will start digging his own grave. Has Mr. Rathbone seen your script no, yet? No, not, not yet. I have an appointment tonight. I'm going over to Basil's apartment right now. Portland, I'll see you later. <laughs> This is the place. What's this sign on the door? Basil Rathbone, criminal investigator, crime solved at all hours, can fix parking tickets. Also, orchestra seats for the heiress. I wonder if Basil is in. Well, Fred Allen. Basil Rathbone. Uh, say, Basil, if you're busy... Uh, not at all, Fred. Come in. You know, I thought you might, uh, might be posing. I've seen your picture in so many ads lately. Yes, I'm using Persona Blades. I've accepted the Saffron Coffee Challenge, and I'm drinking Schaefer's, the finest beer I've ever tasted. <laughs> Gad, Basil, you, you're doing everything but stepping out of thousands of store windows. I endorse... <laughs> I endorse cigarettes too, Fred, over the radio. You endorse cigarettes on the air? Why, who do you think Willie the Penguin is? Basil, you mean? Smokul, Doesn't it bother you impersonating a penguin that way? Well, I think I've been doing the penguin too long, you know, Fred. Occasionally, I catch myself waddling. Well, you, you better stop before you start snapping at Admiral Byrd. <laughs> but uh, speaking of ads, uh, Basil, I saw your, uh, your ad in Variety. Oh, about my new radio program. Yes. Yes, if I get the right script, Fred, I can put my program on the air tomorrow. Well, what, uh, what about a sponsor? Oh, I have a sponsor. It's a frozen fruit concern. Fruit? I've heard of frozen food. This company only freezes watermelons. Oh, watermelon. Yes, my program will be called the Fagel Frozen Watermelon Mystery Theater. Fagel's Frozen Watermelon. Yes, the program opens the two gunshots, then a jingle. Listen to this. When you're buying frozen fruit, what's the fruit that's sure to shoot? It's a frosted goodie, the fastest selling Fagel's Frozen Watermelon. Yes. 
Hoist, without a doubt, the finest singing commercial I've heard since a royal pudding. <laughs> if I could only find a script that's exciting... Well, both beyond the hit praise, I said. <laughs> I want a, a script as exciting as Fagel's commercial. Well, Basil, I... Well, uh, look here. Look at all these mystery scripts that I have here. They're, they're sending it a bit. They're impossible. But, uh... Well, look at this one. It's called The Man with the Neon Jimmy. The Man with the Neon Jimmy? <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it about? Well, a burglar goes into rob a factory. Yes? The safe is too heavy, so he saws the safe in two and carries one part of it away. Do they catch the burglar? The next night. Yes? The burglar comes back to the other part of the safe. Why does he come back? The burglar doesn't want to be half safe. <laughs> That sounds like a case the fat man has sat on. <laughs> Frankly, Fred, as you can see, I need a good mystery. And that is why I am here. I have the perfect story for your Fagel Frozen Watermelon Mystery Theater. Is it good? This script will hold television at bay for 20 years. Ah. <laughs> what is your mystery about, Fred? Well, as the story starts, we hear dramatic music. <laughs> I am Norbert Nottingham. I was England's leading barrister. Tomorrow, I'm to be hanged for murder. Why, you say? Well, it all began two months ago. Lady Bensonhurst, the famous bird lover, invited me to her tea party. How well I remember that fatal afternoon. I entered the drawing room. The cuckoo clock struck three. I put my briefcase on the table. Chung, Lady Bensonhurst's houseboy, greeted me. Mr. Nottingham here is my solicitor. I've called him here to change my will. But, but Lady Bensonhurst... I'm leaving my entire fortune to buy worms for undernourished English sparrows. Worms? From the day I die, no English sparrow will ever go hunting. Lady Bensonhurst was mad. Lady Bensonhurst was mad leaving her fortune to the sparrows. I had to talk to her alone. I must get rid of that crowd of bird lovers. Rushing to the window, I shouted, Look! Look out there on the lawn! A yellow-bellied sapsucker! And out of season, too! <laughs> it worked! The crowd rushed out. We were alone. Lady Bensonhurst spoke. I say, Norbert, why are you looking at me so strangely? Now, Lady Bensonhurst, about your will. <laughs> finished my business with Lady Bensonhurst and was putting on my Inverness cape uh, when one of the bird lovers rushed in. I say, Lady Bensonhurst, the yellow-bellied sapsucker got away. <laughs> I, I, I say, Lady Bensonhurst. Something wrong, old man? It's Lady Bensonhurst, Mr. Nottingham. She's dead. Dead? I say, I'm calling the police. Greetings and shalom alakum, kitties. 
They take it one long time, Chinese Dick Clay on job. Long time look over the back land, the chauffeur is long time. Oh, long time look over, oh, long time, oh, long time, potential a bottle. I say, oh boy, I say. <laughs> Will you stop that foul bellowing? Who are you, Mr. Longnose? I am Norbert Nottingham, Lady Bensonhurst's solicitor. Very good. Uh, but who is Lady Bensonhurst? Uh, Lady Bensonhurst is the body. She's there on the chair, slumped over her lorgnette. Long, long time whip into action. Solve climb no time. Well, I hope so. I'm due at the Audubon Society in half an hour. Ah. Uh, <laughs> little man talking with sponge in mouth. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Cuthbert Collins, president of the Birmingham Bird Watchers Society. Nest four. Nest four. <laughs> very good, very good, Mr. Cuthbert Collins. Long panelist you for murder Lady Swensonhurst. Oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, yes, when Lady Densonhurst was done in, I was out on the lawn looking for a yellow-bellied tap sucker. <laughs> Long pan leave no stone unturned. Long pan girl, yellow, yellow Kelly sap knocker. <laughs> the sap sucker is a bird, long pan. You're just beating about the bush. Exactly. Confucius say, many men who beat around the bush get bird, uh, but not yellow Kelly sap knocker. Your car's waiting, Mr. Nottingham. Oh, thank you, Molly. Thank you. Well, I must trip along. Uh, can I drop you somewhere, long pan? Not so fast. Not so fast, Mr. Boddingham. Woman and case here look very suspicious. Who are you, Missy? Missy Short, a dark on Dumpy. I'm Molly, the maid. Long time, Cherche La Femme. Here, get your hands off me, you heathen. You ain't no chiropractor. <laughs> you, 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 you fess up, Missy. You, you, personal, you, you kill Lady Fensonhurst. Yeah, Barney, I was outside changing the water in the bird bath. Oh, ho, long time clap you, long time catch you now. Not a Saturday night. Why you change water in bird bath? The white lump nippets? The water was dirty. The pippets white rups was coming out tattletail gray. <laughs> Long pan, it's obvious you're getting nowhere. Long pan closing in. Who else? Who else was in house? Only Chung, the houseboy. You, you, you ling for Chung. You very ling well. for Chung. Yes. Long pan girl Chung to very well. Uh, somebody ling to oh, Chung. Long I say, do you two sinners still know each other? Oh, in China, in China, confidentially, in China, Chung, Chung here, big counterfeiter. Counterfeiter? Why you leave? Why you leave China, Chung? In inflation. I got to work all year to make a dollar. Oh. <laughs> Very good. You, you, you fess up, you fess up, Chung. Ching Wa, Chung, Long Fung, Chung. Oh. From beginning? From beginning. What happened? I... I'll tell you exactly what happened. Lady Bensonhurst was giving a tea party for bird lovers. Exactly. I was Lady Bensonhurst's solicitor. She told me to bring her will. By Jove, now I recall. You recall what, Mr. Stoolpitcher? Well, Lady Bensonhurst announced she was changing her will. Changing will? And then someone shouted, Oh, look, on the lawn, there's the yellow bellied sap sucker. <laughs> Yellow Kelly Staff Knocker. We, we all dashed out. When you come back? Lady Bensonhurst was dead and Mr. Nottingham was putting on his invalid. Very good. Long time less you, Mr. Nottingham, for murder Lady Jensen first. You're insane, Long Pan. Why should I kill Lady Bensonhurst? Long time examine briefcase, open briefcase. No, no, don't you touch those papers. Uh, Lady Bensonhurst was changing her will. 
She was leaving her fortune to buy worms for destitute sparrows. Oh, you see, will will here not to change. Beneficiary, not not sparrow. Well, who is the beneficiary? Mr. Norbert Nottingham. Solution obvious. Mr. Nottingham needs money. Oh, that's ridiculous. Why should I need money? This stock certificate, also here in briefcase. Empire Sun, Empire Sunglass Limited, go bankrupt last week. You, Mr. Nottingham, principal stockholder. Yes, yes, I know. I was a fool. I bought two million pairs of sunglasses to sell in England, and the sun hasn't been out in England for three years. <laughs> motive, motive, confidentially obvious. You lose fortune. You kill Lady Bensonhurst to catch him, catch your money in will. You fess up. Fess but up. this oh, evidence is all the circumstantial long pen. I defy you to prove I murdered Lady Bensonhurst. You'll be sorry. Long pen examine body. All right, all right, you'll see. There are no bullet holes, no knife wounds, no evidence of poison. Holy smoke. Uh, what is it, Long Tan? On back, Lady Bensonhurst says, you see. What? Four lumps. Four lumps? See anyone? <laughs> Long Tan arrests you again, Mr. Nottingham, for murder Lady Bensonhurst. Ah, good try, old pig, but where is the weapon? No weapon used. You see where Bobby's sitting? It's in front of the radio. On top of the radio, light behind head, is cuckoo clock. Long Tan turn clock back to four o'clock. You watch. Dad, the cuckoo hit Lady Bensonhurst on the head four times. At the base of skull, medulla oblongata. First blow stun, next two blows tentatively kill, fourth blow kill positively. I think I'll, um, I think I'll step out and have a look at that yellow killed slap knocker. Not, <laughs> not so fast, Mr. Nottingham. Long panel as you for third and final time for murder Lady Benson Bunsen Burner. A long time, you're uncanny. Confucius say, man who commit murder with clock end up doing time. Oh, long time hot tonight. Chinese Jack Eigen tonight. Let's go. Let's go, Mr. Nottingham. Good night, Chum. Oh, good night, Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Quiet, Please, followed by the Bickersons. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.